podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the TTM Sports Show, the show where we interview guests from within the sporting world. To catch this episode visually, then head over to YouTube and simply search TTM Sports. Tonight's guest is a former top scorer in the Premier League, playing over 500 games, scoring an incredible 250 goals. The TTM Sports Show welcomes Marcus Stewart. We discuss his career in football, funny memories, what the future holds, and then of course, a customary appearance on the game that we all know and love, fact or fiction. So sit back, relax, and listen to the guys on the TTM Sports Show. Hello and welcome to the State of Play, the big interview. This week we've got the former Ipswich, Bristol Rovers, Bristol City and Sunderland striker, among other clubs of course, Mr Marcus Stewart. Marcus, how are you? I'm fine, thanks gentlemen. Yeah, very good. Brilliant. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show and to talk the beautiful game with us. Um, We're highly honoured in fact. Uh, First of all, what have you been up to? Um... Probably like most people in lockdown, you know, um, struggling to see family, trying to keep yourself fit, trying to keep your mind occupied, staying busy, really. Um, and it's not a normal busy like you would be at work. It's the household stuff, the going shopping, yeah. keeping fit, um, making phone calls, Zoom, um, FaceTime, whatever you want to do, just trying to keep in touch with people, really. Um, and I'm quite enjoying it, if I'm honest with you. I've, um, I've been in football for loads of Many years, 30-odd years, and this time off's quite nice. You still involved at all? Were you doing any bits and pieces for anyone or anything like that? I'm doing a bit for BBC Radio Suffolk, um, watching Ipswich games. Yeah. But otherwise, no, I'm really just making phone calls to old, old colleagues, old friends, um, old players. So not, not a lot else, really, if I'm honest with you. Yeah. So when things start to open up again, I gather then you'll start to put yourself back out there and continue on the coaching career. Because um, from the outside looking in, you started to do really well, actually, with, with the coaching. It was coming across as really well too with, uh, with Mr. Clark and stuff like that. Do you enjoy coaching more than actually playing or do you never, ever really leave that buzz of scoring a goal? Um, yeah, I did. I really enjoyed coaching. I still do when I, when I decide to go back into it again. Um, but no, the, the buzz of scoring a goal is... The best feeling, no doubt about that. But I wondered when I went the transition from being a football player to being a coach, how I would feel about doing it. You're not sure. You do all your coaching badges, do everything. I've done everything I can do um, in terms of badges wise. So then you're wondering where you get the same feeling. But yeah, I do actually. I really enjoy winning games. I get I get as nervous. I probably get more nervous watching a game. I find it really weird before games, the preparation. Normally, you're putting your boots on, going out for a warm-up. Whereas a coach, it's not a lot for you to do, really, apart from help the manager and what he's going to say, what he's going to say after in the media. Um, I didn't used to like it when the coaches used to come up to me in the dressing room and say things. I just wanted to be my own space. You know, When the manager's done his team talk before a game, fine, I understood it. But when you're preparing for a game, I didn't want to coach really, unless it was information, but 
just coming up and saying pointless words like "come on, you can do well today." That meant nothing to me. Yeah, yeah. Some information on someone, then then I understand that that that's going to help me. So when I was around in the dressing room with a coach, I didn't used to bother the players really, unless I had a bit of information to give them that I thought might have been important. But otherwise, just be just just leave players alone. I think. Um, but that's the most difficult time I felt was as a coach. You're almost not in the dressing room. You almost think you have to be in the dressing room to be there and just. But as I got a bit more experience, I realised you don't have to be in the dressing room. Just be there. All you're doing is. Uh, Run, just going up and down the dressing room, just walking around like, like like a lion in a cage, probably making the players more nervous in a way. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. You're thinking, I've got my thinking head on. So I just used to stay away, really. I, I used to go in there if, if I really had to, as a coach, that was, as a player. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that's great. Great. Um, uh, if you're going to go back into coaching Marcus, mm-hmm. would that be, will you be linking up with Darren again, or are you looking to maybe go your own path? Um, Daryl first, not Darren. Daryl, sorry. Darryl. Yeah. Well, <laughs> My apologies. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, are you looking to go alone now? Um, uh, I, I, I don't know where I'm going to go. To be honest truth, I don't know if I want to go part-time. I don't know if I want to go. Um, as I enjoyed being a system manager. I, I, I really enjoyed that. Being a manager, yeah, it does appeal to me, but do I want to do it yet? No. Would a chance come to me? I don't know. Um, you know, be, being there's, a, there's hundreds of coaches out there, hundreds of thousands of coaches out there that are looking for jobs. So I understand that the decision I made back in March, April, whatever month it was, I'm not quite sure. I understand that that opportunity might not come up again um, because there's so many ex-players that are becoming ex-players now going into the coaching role uh, and might get an opportunity before me. So, if it comes about, it's got to be the right, right place, the right time um, for me if I'm going to do it. But um, I'm not saying no. I'm just at the moment not, not, not in a position to go back for family reasons. Still, really. yeah. Now, now I remember um, when I was just sort of uh, 2003. So I was very young myself. Um, I remember that Ipswich Town team. Um, we we spoke last time um, with with someone else, Ben Few. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We, we went through with Ben Pugh, who's now the manager of the Cayman Islands international football team. He was a coach at Ipswich. And I think it was a few years after, after your, let's say, that golden team. And it was um, that, that had moved on. And we, we went through some of the players in that team, such as James Scowcroft, Martin Royster, you know, Jamie Clapham at left back. Really reliable. Um, Jim McGillan. Jim McGillan, yep. absolutely. Yeah. And, and then obviously... Martinus. We could reel, we could reel them we off. Reel them all off. Evening. We could reel them yeah, off. Yeah, they, they were that, that. That was a great, great team. There's no doubt about it. And I remember, and um, they finished third. And always, I always remember you scored a wonderful goal against Helsingborgs. Um, that was such a great finish. Do you ever um, miss that buzz of of scoring that goal? To be fair, and and you know, what did it feel like scoring at Anfield? Uh, no, I don't miss that buzz. I, I enjoy reminiscing on those type of moments and yeah. times. Don't get me wrong, but I don't miss them. I think if you miss them, you think about it too much, and then you then then you get the mental health issues. I think mm. um, I wouldn't know because I've missed them, so I can can tell you. Uh, no, I enjoy these moments, and I often dream. It's really weird. I dream. You wake up and you're in some sort of dream where you're scoring a goal, and I, but I don't plan to have a dream. No one plans to have a dream. No, of course, but you do. You have those moments. I still have them moments now as a coach. It's strange. Um, not very often. But you wake up in the morning and I'll go, 
saddlebag and very, very yeah. remember dreams. But I do, you do, yeah, you do dream about these things. But I don't. It's not because it's on my mind constantly. Um, I don't miss them. I, 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 I retired at the right time. I was ready to retire. I wasn't. I was fortunate enough. I wasn't. I didn't. I had a manager at Paul Tisdale. He's now at Bristol Rovers, as you know, um, mm. who didn't didn't see me as a threat for his job. He. He, he loved having senior players around to help with the young lads, but he, he, chose, he chose the right senior players. For instance, it, uh, Rob Edwards was there as well, ex-Bristol City player Wells. Um, myself, uh, I'm trying to think who else. Clinton player. Morrison, would he have been there at that time? Sorry? Clinton Morrison, or was he a bit no, later? No, that was a bit later. Um, I'm just trying to think of one or two others. Uh, Andy Marriott, goalkeeper, goalkeeper. Yeah. Who's there. So he had he, he brought in some good senior players that would help with the young lads, and he's seen me as a as an asset, not as a threat. Um, mm. And that's what I loved about Tears. So when I retired, I didn't I didn't get thrown out by a manager who wanted to get rid of me because he seen me as a threat of getting his job. Yeah. Um, he let me. He made. He let me play. He played me my last year, not as much, but. You understood I was getting a bit older, I was 36, 37. Um, so I was fortunate to have that type of manager at the end of my career. And I was fortunate not, not fortunate enough not to be my my career not cut short by injury. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, those those are the type of things that might happen to a player who might miss a football, might miss football because they don't actually want to retire at that moment because Yeah. No, no, your no. your career more came, it came to more of like a natural conclusion yeah. rather than you know an organic organic end, which yeah. is often probably gave you a lot lot more sort of inner peace about about retiring rather than like like yeah. play. That's exactly like, how I felt. You know, yeah. I I chose the time and the place when to do it. It was at Bristol Rovers, my first ever club. I made my day before, and I played my last ever game for Exeter against Bristol Rovers at Bristol Rovers. So I chose to do it at that time. It was the right time to do it. I probably could have played on for one more year. But I was ready to um, not play anymore. If I could have just turned up and played every Saturday, I would have done. It, yeah. Yeah. it was the training in between that um, that I found difficult. Um, and I was always a good trainer. I always loved training. Um, but it was getting harder to do it every day. Now, we'll just um, touch on very briefly, we've got a lot of listeners um, of our show. Um, naturally, as we cover a whole host of, of sporting Okay, events as it were. Um, but what we have got is some good questions from our listeners. I know James has got uh, one more question on Ipswich Town um, because that was just fairy tale stuff. You, there's no getting away from it. It was brilliant. Um, James, you got one more question to ask Marcus, and then, yeah, I'll, and just, then I'll go into the listeners. Just to rewind it a bit, Marcus, um, it's quite a long question. <laughs> um, so obviously, you promoted up to the Premier League with Ipswich. You um, ultimately that led to you making your Premier League debut. Now, on your first season in the Premier League, you scored 19 Premier League goals, which is unbelievable, really, for, for a debut season or for anyone, really. Of any, you know, if Harry Kane scores 19 goals this season, nobody bats an eyelid. Um, so how do you, how, what do you think it was that allowed you to be able to go up into the Premier League and just hit the ground running like you did? And also, not, not just yourself personally, but as a team as well? What was the, sort of, what was the secret behind that success for personally and as a team? Um, there was, personally, I would say there was a hunger within me to succeed at the highest level. There's, yeah. I've never played at the highest level before and that was my first opportunity to do that. Um, I've 
I backed myself because I'd done it in a previous levels, Championship, Division One back then. It would have been Division Two. Um, so I backed myself to be able to do it. From a team point of view, all those players that got promoted in that squad had never played in the Premier League before. So there was a hunger within the team as well. And I'm sure a hunger like I had as an individual, they must have had that because yeah. they were played at the top level um, in English football. So there was that hunger. Within that team environment, there was a great team spirit as well. So everything was there. And it wasn't just great team spirit. There was players with all sorts of abilities in terms of everyone had their strengths. You go on about Jim McGilton, who could pick a forward pass and put it, put it on your little toe. Um, there was Tony Mowbray, who could head and manage the back four because of experience. You know, Mark Venus, who had a great left foot, one of the best left foots ever. Jamie Clapham, who had a great, great engine. But with all those strengths and weaknesses we all had, George knew how to mould us together and get the right players on the pitch at the right time. That's what George was really good at. And you had to be adaptable as well. We didn't just play one formation every week. We, we were, George would change it up quite often. So you had, you had to add adaptable players as well. We didn't have a massive squad, but a squad that could play in most positions. So for me, those sorts of things gave us the best chance going into the Premier League. And I, I keep on about the team, but the team spirit was just fantastic. Everyone got on brilliant with each other. Um, on and off the pitch, you know, some some nights out we used to have, some banter in training. It was just brilliant. You know, it was a great, great place to be at, at the time. And I don't, at the time, you kind of don't realise that. It's only now, 20 years, 30 years on, 20 years on, from my point of view, um, do I realise what a special team we had and a special kind of relationship with each other. And I think about this quite a lot, you know, about what you said, what got us there. And I think the hunger within the team and the team spirit and the hunger within myself and the other individuals, obviously, that's the only thing that can get you up there, really. Um, if you don't have all those things, you ain't got a chance. Absolutely. We, we've seen it now. Um, you look at the Liverpool transformation underneath Jurgen Klopp. That that there, for me, is the players he's bringing in fit into that team chemistry and dynamic. Um, and they all slot in perfectly like the Conor off the pitch, um, which is great. We'll, we'll move on to a couple of our fan questions that we've got. Um, first of all, uh, Mr. David Vowles has asked, who was your best manager and why? Oh. Um. Can I pick two? Yes, of course. Um, George Burley, of course, for obvious reasons. Yep. For what he did, he gave me the opportunity. Brought me from Huddersfield to Ipswich. And hopefully I didn't let him down. When I first, when I used to play against Ipswich's side for, for Huddersfield, when we played each other a, a few times, I used to look at George and think he was scary and like on the sideline. And think, oh, he, he's a bit serious Scotsman. Mm. And when I met him, he was a really nice bloke. And um, not, not, he's not shy. But, you know, when you speak to a businessman sometimes and they're talking to you, but they're actually thinking about something else because they're yeah. so busy with their work. Yeah, yeah. It was a bit like that. Um, but he wasn't not approachable, that's for sure. Uh, you could approach him. But he was like that. He knew his way. and he, he, That was how George was. And looking back, he got a great group of players and moulded a team together. And for, for some, from my point of view, just one instance, he knew that I would fit into that team. 
Yeah. You know, he, he did that with so many other players. Martin Russo, for instance, bringing him in. He knew What he, a player. Yeah. He knew he had to bring a certain type of player into the team that would fit into the team, not only as a person, but within the structure of his formations that he wanted to play. So George was great at that. The other one was Mick McCarthy. Okay. I love Mick McCarthy. And I'll tell you why I love Mick. Not then do we get promoted to the champion with the Sunderland shirt behind me. Um, yes. He was a straight and honest bloke. You know, he was, he would just tell you how it was. And, but he's also a good bloke. You know, he would tell you how it was. And that's, as a player, I found out, well, I didn't find out, but as a coach, I kind of took that on board as a coach because it, people don't want to beat around. Players don't want to be told they're being dropped because I'm resting you today. I'm going to change them. They actually want to be told in a constructive way why they're not playing. And you say today, Marcus, for instance, you go, Marcus, you've been playing shit for the last four weeks, so I'm not playing. <laughs> well, and fair enough. <laughs> but he wouldn't just say that. he'd give you a reason you know but I'm going to play you next game I just need, need to give you a break bands on your back I need to give you a break and that was how he was you know and that's why Mick McCarthy accent by the way um, but no I love Mick for his honesty and approachable um, yeah I do I, 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 yeah I really like Mick that, that doesn't surprise me at all actually Marcus because like we mentioned earlier with um, Ben Pugh who's a national team manager at the Cayman Islands he obviously worked at a in the academy and the uh, youth development at Ipswich when Mick and Terry were there. So, um, and he said that Mick McCarthy and Terry Connor just created an atmosphere at at Ipswich, which was just incredible. And that they were so approachable, helpful, even to him, who was sort of like a, you know, a low level academy coach at that time. And, and he, he again was somebody else who couldn't speak high enough of Mick McCarthy and, and, and obviously Terry Connor as well. Was, was Terry with him as well then or was? Um, no, Terry was, um, wasn't with him then, but I did work with Terry Bristol Rovers towards uh, the beginning of my professional career. I would have been 17, 18. And Terry was kind of in this, we have a striker, striker coach really. And right, okay. With me then. So I, I, I've come across Terry as a coach, yeah. They've been out Fantastic. in Cyprus. He's been sacked this week, Mick McCarthy. Yeah, and and Terry been sacked as well. Yeah, yeah, I believe so, yeah. I think that Mick was, but I didn't say that Terry was. Yeah, I, I just assume that he, that he goes with him everywhere. I think yeah. they live together and uh, and everything, those two. Uh, I think yeah, they're, <laughs> they're hand in hand, those two, a great little team. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he, he was, he was probably uh, back in the last week. It only lasted a couple of months over there as well. Yeah, lost four on a trot, so they sat to him. Wow. Yeah. I don't um, think the I don't think the owners over there are very um, forgiving, are they? In those sort oh, yeah. of um, those sort of leagues. Yeah. Yeah, they see a profile, and if it doesn't start to look like it says, like on the tin, then that's it, and it's in the yeah. next one on the list. Um, next one is from Duncan Penellum. Did you feel pressure um, over the three point five million pound transfer fee to Sunderland? No. No. Um, no, because I've not demanded that money. Yeah. yeah, I've not pocketed any of that money, so why should I feel pressure? It's you know, at the end of the day, not, I'm not spending the money. I'm not spending someone else's money. I'm not the one who's got someone else is spending on me, and I'm not yeah. demanding that money. So, as from a personal point of view, never ever felt any pressure because someone spent money on me. Never ever. Um, I was actually proud of the fact that someone was yeah. spending a lot of money on me. I wasn't didn't feel absolutely. Pressure. Um, if it came to not scoring for five, six, seven games or whatever, I wouldn't think bloody hell, this price tag's weighing me down. Never ever thought that. 
it was just me and my own thoughts and my own way to get out of things. But money, the price tag never affected me, ever. Brilliant. Um, the last fan question that we've got is from a Mr. Sean Lewis. Um, were you upset that you didn't actually get the England call-up? And um, Were you half expecting one after you finished the Premier League season, as we mentioned earlier, as a top-scoring Englishman? Now, you should have been, in, in our opinion. Um, does that ever irk you a little bit that that never, uh, no, never came to fruition? question. I get asked quite a lot. Um, I would love to play for England, no doubt about it. I play for the under-21s. Um, very patriotic. But I look back and I think I had a good season that year, but there was also some bloody good English players in there. Yeah. Sheringham, who would have been, a, who would have been ahead of you in the um, pecking order at that time? Would it have been like Sheringham? The Shearer was probably retired by then, wouldn't he? Owen? Uh, may have been, may not have been. Owen would have been there. Sheringham, Andrew Cole, Robbie Fowler to name yeah. a lot. Yeah. It's, it's difficult. It is. Yeah, and it would have been one of the two. Sorry if I forget your name, guys, if you listen to this, but it would have been one of the two players as well, apart from me. So, uh, no, um, I, I, obviously when you're scoring goals, you think you have a chance. Um, but I, I, to get in front of those guys who were established internationals, if I'm honest with you, um, would have been tough. But it would have been a very proud moment if I did. Yeah, don't doubt that for a second. Um, what we now do is we, we come towards the end of the interview. We always play the, the fun game that we have called Fact or Fiction. It's yep. four questions and it is exactly what it says on the tin. What I say is either fact or fiction. Now, Mark Halsey last time out beat James 3-2 convincingly and uh, he was highly emotional at that victory and, uh, and awarded James a booking for it. <laughs> so what, what we'll do, we'll kick off. So um, James, are you ready to rock and roll? I'm always ready to rock and roll. Good, good, good stuff. And Marcus, are you ready to play fact or fiction? So are we, um, we got, uh, just answer it in our own time, I assume. Yeah, think about absolutely. Yeah. It's not Obviously like you don't get 10 minutes, but you know. Smash a table or smash a table and go, I'm first. It's just, it's no, 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 no. We no, take no. it in turns. Okay. Absolutely. So first question. Former Sunderland and Liverpool goalkeeper Simon Mignolet speaks five languages and has a degree in politics. Is that fact or fiction, Marcus? I think that's fact. Okay. And James? He looks like he's probably quite intelligent, doesn't he, uh, Mignolet? Um, and all goalies are crazy, so I'm going to say fact. Okay. After the first question, it's 1-1. It is indeed a fact. Next question, James. Luka Modric and Mark Viduka are distant cousins. I think it's correct that Viduka is of Croatian uh, ancestry, but I think it's a bit of a red herring here. So uh, nice try, but fiction. Okay, and Marcus? I think fiction too, yeah. It is a fact that Luka Modric and Mark Viduka are distant cousins. So after two questions, it's 1-1. One, one. <laughs> this is you're good. Having a, you're having a song. No, not at all. Fact. Uh, <laughs> next question. Question number three. Former Ukraine star striker Andrei Shevchenko stole bikes as a youngster. Fact or fiction? Marcus. That is, I know him very well and his mum and dad. And it's definitely, 
they wouldn't have taught him that. No, you didn't used to do that. Okay, and James? It was Andre Shevchenko. That's correct. You know his mum and dad? Yeah, very well. <laughs> okay. I'm going to say growing up in the, in the mean streets of Kiev, you had to do what you had to do to survive. So I'm going to say that is a fact. He doesn't need a bite to survive. Just walk the lazy people. <laughs> yeah. So after three questions, Marcus Stewart leads 2-1. Oh. It is indeed fiction that Andrei Shevchenko did not steal bikes as a youngster. Question number four. So James, you need this. Former Sunderland player Stefan Schwartz had a clause inserted into his contract stating that he could not go on a commercial flight to space that he'd been considering. They called it the space clause. Is that fact or fiction, James? I think that's fact. Okay. And Marcus? I just need to go the same as James to win, so I'll go fact as well. Okay. (laughs) It is a fact. It is a fact. Um, Stefan Schwartz did indeed have a contract clause inserted, the space clause, at the end of the second fact or fiction James has been beaten now by Mark Halsey and beaten into the ground by Marcus Stewart. Congratulations, Marcus. Well done. Thank you very much. I'm very proud of that. Um, James, sorry, I, you should have asked me at the end first because I'm, I've got it wrong and James got it right. So I just went the same as James just to win. I'm just all about it. To be fair as well, um, it, it must have been a long time ago because I can't imagine anyone in charge of Sunderland making a, a savvy business decision. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> Okay then, well that was episode number 26 of the TTM Sports Show featuring former Ipswich striker Marcus Stewart. If you enjoyed our content and you want to listen to more, then catch us on all of the social media handles that you can find, such as Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just search TTM Sports. This podcast is also available visually. If you head over to YouTube, just simply search TTM Sports. Thanks for listening to us and we hope to see you again very, very soon. Sports Social Podcast Network.